During the spring of 1893, I was, if possible, more busy than ever before. Among other work, preparing my building to rent to a prospective tenant, who would use the entire five stories and 40 rooms at a good rental if I could get it completed in time for World's Fair purposes. This left me with little time to attend to my office duties, which gradually Miss Williams took more and more into her own hands, showing a remarkable aptitude for the work. During the first week, she boarded at a distance, but later, from about the 1st of March until the 15th of May, 1893, she occupied rooms in the same building and adjoining my offices. Here, occasionally, meals were served from the restaurant near at hand. Here, occasionally, meals were served from the restaurant near at hand. And if any bones have really been found in the stove there, I think it will later be learned, by microscopical examination, that they are the remnants of such meals. Certain it is that no human being was ever cremated there during my occupancy of the room, my own experience years ago being quite sufficient to show me the danger of such proceedings on account of the awful odor, if I had no other motive to deter me from such a course. About the 1st of April, I dictated quite a number of urgent letters to parties who were owing me, requesting them to make immediate settlement of their accounts, as I was much in need of money at this time. Some days later, Minnie brought me a draft for about $2,500 and asked me to use it until she should need it, explaining that this was the proceeds of the Texas sale she had previously spoken to me about. I could make good use of the money at that time, but declined to take it until I had explained to her, at some length, more of my business affairs than she had before known. And finally, I caused to be transferred to her, by warranty deed, a house and lot at Wilmette, Illinois, valued at about $7,500, in order that she should be well protected against loss in case of my death. This money was returned to her about May 10th, 1893, from money obtained for this purpose from Isaac R. Hitt & Company, Chicago, who paid it to Miss Williams personally. At about this time, she expressed a wish that I should aid her in converting her remaining southern property into either cash or improved northern property. This was hard to do, and I finally advised her to execute a worthless deed by having someone other than herself sign name to a fictitious person and offer the property for sale at a very low cash figure, and, years later, if she chose to do so, to demand an additional sum in exchange for the good deed. This was done, forging the name upon the deed so made, which deeds are still in existence. When matters had progressed thus far in our various transactions, Miss Williams was taken seriously ill for several days at the house where we were stopping at the time. She suffered from the same form of acute mania that she had been troubled with in New York years before. She was under restraint at this hotel a few days about May 22nd, but owing to careful nursing and good medical attendance, she soon became so much better that she could plan intelligently with me what steps were best to be taken for her safety. It was decided that she should go to the Presbyterian Hospital, near the Clybourne Avenue car limits in Chicago, to stay until I could determine if she were in further danger. She entered this institution about May 23, 1893, as a private patient, 
and her ailment being such that it was prudent for her to pass for a married woman, she was enrolled upon the records there as Mrs. Williams. The greatest drawback to her improvement there was the fact that she knew she was in an asylum with other insane persons, and she soon begged me to take her to some private apartments where she could receive special attention. To accomplish this, I hired a house at 1220 Wrightwood Avenue, and early in June accompanied Miss Williams there, and during my absences she was in care of a young woman hired for this purpose. Here she rapidly improved, and during the following months exhibited only once any maniacal symptoms, when, owing to some trivial disagreement with her attendants, she so frightened her that she left at once. At this time, Miss Williams first spoke of inviting her sister to spend the summer and fall months with us, and in response to a letter, Nanny came from Texas. I met her at the train and found her to be a remarkably quiet and gentle woman, apparently not very strong, certainly of a most kindly disposition. The sisters had never lived together for any considerable length of time, and they anticipated much pleasure in the society of each other. Minnie had asked that it should appear to her sister that we were married, and also that nothing should be said of her recent illness, which she now, day by day, seemed to be overcoming. I cannot imagine a happier, quieter life than they passed there during the month of June and the first part of July, 1893. I was extremely busy in the city, but was at the house whenever I could conveniently arrange it. Minnie had so far recovered as to attend several business matters and to aid me in my writing. Among other things, arrangements were made to convert her own and her sister's interests in her brother's estate into money, and to commence certain preliminary proceedings that would ultimately cause her betrayer in Boston to pay her a considerable sum. And, to make this easier, it was thought wise that she obtain some evidence in support of her claim by wiring to him for a small amount of money. This was done, and to this telegram he promptly responded by sending to her, by wire, $100. At the time it came to the Western Union office, she was not feeling well enough to go there for it, and I executed the proper papers, signing her name in her stead. And next day, to more fully protect her attorney in the matter, she executed a supplementary receipt in her own name. Later in the year, it was her intention to return to Boston and to go further with the matter. Late in June, upon returning one day from my business in the city, I met and was introduced by Miss Williams to a Mr. Edward Hatch, whom she had formerly known during her theatrical life. He was at the time attending the Columbian Exposition at Chicago. A few evenings later, he accompanied Minnie, Nanny, and myself to the exposition. Early in July, it became necessary for Miss Williams to leave the city for a day, and before doing so, she asked that I might come home early and not allow Nanny to remain alone during the evening and night. I went with Miss Williams to the cars, and later accompanied her sister as far as the business portion of the city, upon her way to spend the day at the exposition. That evening I returned to the house at about six o'clock, and soon after Nanny also returned. During the previous weeks of Miss Williams' illness, I had been unable to be away from the house at night, and wishing to go out that evening, I asked Nanny if she would mind staying in the rooms alone explaining to her that there were two other families in the house. She replied that she would have no fear, and that being so tired from her day's exertions among the crowds, she felt sure that she would sleep all night. This being arranged, I went away. 
agreeing to call on my way to the city next morning, and asking her if her sister returned before I did to refrain from telling her I had stayed elsewhere, giving to Nanny as my reason for this that her sister would feel annoyed at my leaving her alone. Next morning I reached the house at about 8.30 o'clock, and shortly before Miss Williams returned. Being in haste to reach the city, I welcomed her, and almost immediately bade them both good-bye, and taking my bicycle from the hall, started down the street. At this time, both sisters were standing within the doorway of the house. Quite early in the afternoon, upon returning, I was surprised to notice the shades at the windows closely drawn. Entering the hall and passing from thence into the parlor, I was greeted by Miss Williams screaming to me, "'Is that you? My God!' I thought you would never come. Nanny is dead. She was seated upon the floor, holding her sister's head in her arms, rocking back and forth and moaning, much as a mother would over a child that was dying or dead. I did not believe it at first. I made no effort to do so, looking upon it as one of the jokes which, when, well, she so liked to indulge in. But a moment later I noticed the disordered condition of the room, and as my eyes became accustomed to the darkness, Miss Williams' terrified face, which, good actress though she was, I knew she could not so successfully counterfeit. I was alarmed and instantly was upon my knees beside them, to find to my horror that Nanny had probably been dead for hours. By this time Miss Williams seemed almost as lifeless as her sister, and half-leading, half carrying her, I took her to her room and did all I could to restore her. But it was hours before she was in a condition that would allow of her giving me an intelligent account of what had taken place during my absence. In the meantime I had carried Nanny to my own room, where she lay, looking more like one asleep than dead. The only mark of violence discernible being a slight discoloration upon one of her temples, from which a small quantity of blood had apparently flowed. Later, in answer to my questions, I gained the following knowledge. Upon my leaving the house in the morning, Miss Williams had seized her sister by the arm and ran romping with her through the rooms to the dining room, and without waiting to remove her hat, had sat down at the table and drank some coffee, talking to Nanny the while. She had asked her what time I had reached the house the preceding evening, to which question Nanny answered that she did not know, as I was home when she had herself returned, thus giving the impression that I had been there during the night. After finishing her lunch, Minnie had passed into her own room, had exchanged her street costume for a house dress, and then, in going to the front portion of the house, had passed through my room, and in doing so had noticed that it had not been occupied during the night. With this one thought in her disordered mind, she had rushed into the adjoining room where her sister then sat, and, in a voice which only the very few who have been intimately acquainted with Miss Williams can appreciate and understand the tragedy of, had said, "'You devil! You have stolen my husband from me!' At the same time, she had struck her sister with a small footstool, causing her to fall to the floor, where, with hardly a struggle, she had ceased to breathe. Miss Williams had, at the first moment, run to the lower portion of the house for assistance, but the people being absent for the time being, she had returned, and at first thinking her sister had only fainted, 
had resorted to all the means of which she knew to resuscitate her. She soon found her efforts useless, and from then until I had arrived, had remained in the position in which I found her. After this came the terrible question of what steps should be taken. It is useless for me to speak now of what should have been done. What was finally decided upon is as follows. I first wished to call in the authorities and explain fully, and also have it known that at the moment the act was committed, Miss Williams was not accountable for what she had done. She would not listen to this. Next, I suggested it should appear that death had resulted from an accidental fall, but to any and all propositions that necessitated a court investigation, she would hear nothing, begging me to go to Inglewood, and with Patrick Quinlan's aid, take the body to some quiet place and bury it. Finding that the discussion was worrying her into another serious condition, I gave her some medicine, and as soon as I could do so safely, I left her, intending to go to Inglewood, and did go as far as 22nd Street. There were some reasons why this last-mentioned course would have been advantageous, as it was not generally known that I was living with Miss Williams as her husband, and those who did know of it did not know my identity, and to have this matter known, as well as the death of her sister under such distressing circumstances, would have occasioned an amount of notoriety that would have been ruinous to me. But as I rode towards Inglewood, I could see good reasons for not using Quinlan in the matter. His loyalty to me was such that I should not have feared his making it public, but I did not think I had a right to burden him with so terrible a secret. In fact, it was by never asking him to do any act that he could be held accountable for, or that would jeopardize his property, that the loyal feeling had been caused to exist. Leaving the cars at 22nd Street, I returned to the house, finding Miss Williams still asleep. Later we clothed her sister in a light dress she had liked to wear, and taking the large trunk she had brought with her from Texas, I placed her therein as carefully as I could. No funeral rites were observed, no prayers were said, for I felt that from either of us such would have been a mockery. I also took her small, well-worn Bible, this without Miss Williams' knowledge, and later consigned it with her to her last resting place, which was all I felt at liberty to do. I then went to a livery stable and obtained a covered conveyance, stopping upon my return at the car barns nearby, where there were many workmen waiting to take the cars. I engaged one of them to accompany me to the house and help me place the trunk in the carriage. I then drove to the lakeside and waited until night had fallen, making it appear to parties noticing me, if any, that I was awaiting the return of some belated boating party. Afterwards, I procured a boat at some distance and took it near my waiting place, and still later, with considerable difficulty, I placed the trunk in it and proceeded about one mile from the shore. There in the darkness, passed beyond the sight of this world, into the ever-grasping depths of Lake Michigan, all that was mortal of this beautiful Christian girl. But from my sight it has never passed, nor has there been a day, an hour, since that awful night that I would not have given my life if by doing so that of Nanny Williams could have been returned. 
Upon coming towards the shore, I thought it wise to deposit the trunk upon another and more remote portion of the beach. I did this, and, after returning the boat, drove away, and later came back for the trunk. Upon reaching the house, I found Miss Williams more at ease. She had occupied her mind during my absence by collecting and placing in Nanny's room all of her belongings, even those of her own things that her sister had used. She was inclined to talk to me and plan for the future, but for this I had no heart, and, little by little, as often as I could do so without exciting her again, I told her that our life together was ended. I did not do this with anger, and agreed to guard her secret so long as it did not place my own life in danger. The housekeeping was broken up, and very shortly thereafter Mr. Hatch took her to Milwaukee, where she remained in a private institution until later in the summer. The cause that had produced her unsound mental condition had been removed. Hatch did not know of her sister's death for months afterward, and then, against my advice, was it told to him, he supposing she had returned to her Texas friends. All of the things that Minnie had separated from her own were packed and taken to Inglewood, and were placed in a room in the second story, where they were kept for several weeks until I could obtain time to dispose of them. When I assorted some of them and gave them to Pitizel, telling him that they were some that Miss Williams had sent to his children. All the others were burned in the large stove in the third-story office, and this I plainly told the Philadelphia authorities in the fall of 1894, and all the subsequent excitement occurred as a direct result of a visit made there by the representative in verification of my statement. Another trunk, containing pictures and books, was not taken from the express company owing to a mistake in charges, though Miss Williams supposed this had also been disposed of, and this was the one later returned to Fort Worth. Before going to Milwaukee, Miss Williams was in such a nervous condition that only one important step was taken, which that her people in the South should suppose that she, together with her husband and sister, had gone to Europe or elsewhere. This being made easier inasmuch as some talk had been had earlier of a short fall trip abroad if money matters would allow it. At about this time there occurred a very severe lake storm, July 18, 1883, doing much damage, and it was hoped they would conclude that all had perished during this storm. Certain it was, Miss Williams wrote no more letters to her friends, and did not appear publicly in Chicago, if possible to avoid it, in order to carry out this idea, but fortunately for my, our present safety, there are, as I shall show later, several instances when she did appear, and in my company. While she was in Milwaukee, I did what I could to arrange our business affairs, so that neither she nor myself should suffer loss, it being impossible for her to make new transfers of a later date, or to go to Texas without abandoning the idea of deceiving her friends there regarding her existence. I was determined, too, as soon as possible, to sever all my relations with her, deeming it unsafe to continue them and from time to time I encouraged Hatch in his attentions to her, which he was more willing to bestow than she to accept. End of section 6